Hey, this is D. David Polite, and I want to welcome you to Put It in a Book. This is a place where you can hear black book introductions and forwards on a myriad of subjects like politics and economics and history and religion. I like to highlight books that I feel will edify and encourage readers to take political, social, and economic action. You know, because in this age of rapid change with slanted news and tainted information, it is imperative that we, individually we, seek information that will increase our knowledge and thereby inform our wisdom. For good choices are made by the well-informed wise. Now, I made that one up myself, but you really should remember these. My people perish for lack of knowledge, Hosea 4.6, and if you don't know your history, you are bound to repeat it. Now, many people have said that one, but I think I read somewhere that Socrates was the first to coin that phrase. Okay, let's get started on this week's book. This week, I'm going to read the foreword, and, and I may also read the author's notes. Yeah, because I like them. I may read the author's notes from a book written by political strategist Cornell Belcher. And I won't get too deeply into the author yet because the forward does a good job of that. So you'll learn about the author when we get to the forward. But the name of the book is A Black Man in the White House. <laughs> now, considering this period in American politics, the black man, President Barack Obama, in the White House, leaving office, this is the perfect book to be the first in a series for Put It In The Book podcast. For that reason, and for this reason, what this book does for me, and it will for you, is it reaches back to early African-American politics, and then it brings us up to present-day events. Let me, let, me, uh, let, let me show you what I mean. I'm going to read you some chapter topics. Chapter 1, Color and Context. Chapter 2, The Southern Strategy. And that's what, the 50s and the 60s? Chapter 3, The Othering of Barack Obama. Brings us to present day. Chapter 4, A Long History, Not Over Yet. And Chapter 5, When Racism Becomes Treason. Now those are some great chapter topics and like I said they take us from the beginning the early times in uh, African American politics to present day without further ado let's get to the forward for a black man in the White House oh wait before we do that I, I forgot I forgot to go into the title of my uh, podcast you know where the title put it in a book comes from Remember that old negative saying, uh, if you want to hide something from a Negro, put it in a book? That's where it comes from. So let's flip the script on that negative saying, okay? Okay, the forward was written by former Vermont Governor Howard Dean. Uh, as I read on, as I read the forward, you'll learn the relationship between Dean and um, and Belka. 
so bear with. When I became chairman of the Democratic National Committee in 2005, we implemented a program that became known as the 50 State Strategy. The idea was to build the party for the long term by winning incremental elections through registering voters and recruiting and nurturing candidates at the state and local levels towards future bids for higher office and to do it by including states in which Republicans had long dominated. Our research and my gut told me that while Democrats weren't losing on the issues, in order to expand the playing field, we had to do better job of competing where it mattered most with voters. We had to win with our values. We had to focus on values. Not all of my colleagues bought into that vision, and there was certainly more than one discussion about continuing along the path the party had walked for so long, which was to stick to targeting states where the voters were already friendly. The 50-state strategy, however, paid off in what was an historic midterm election in 2006, with Democrats retaking both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And it was fundamental in 2008, helping Barack Obama compete in states long thought of as red states where he shouldn't spend resources, like North Carolina, Nevada, and Virginia. Cornell Belker was a pollster for the DNC during my tenure as chairman. When we think about political polling, what often leaps to mind is the science of predicting election results based on feedback from registered voters and likely voters and those exiting voting polls. But the horse race aspect of polling is really the least important and least interesting part of what polls can tell us. Polls show us what Americans think about a wide variety of issues, what they're concerned about, what's most important to them, how policy can be better shaped to improve their lives and the lives of their families. But, most importantly, good polling helps us understand the prism of values most Americans use to make sense of their world. Polling is the useful tool of social science seeking to bring about positive change in people's lives. And while Cornell and I worked together at the DNC, he conducted some of the best polling I've ever seen. Polling that empowered our understanding of America's changing demographics and the hope that rested within this change for the future of not just the Democratic Party, but the progressive policies it embodies and the positive changes that can occur when such policies are put into place rooted in the expressed value of the American people. Let me be clear. We have at our fingertips a trove of empirical data that prove progressive policies such as increasing taxes on the wealthiest among us indeed lead to positive outcomes. A quick look at two cases, the state of Kansas and the state of California provides a telling overview. Kansas, functioning under the extreme conservative policies of Governor Sam Brownback, has become an economic wasteland. Domestic spending was slashed in that state, and unfunded tax cuts for the rich and for corporations were enacted. The result is that economic growth was halted, job creation came to a standstill, 
and the state is posting deficits that will likely reach over a billion dollars before all is said and done. No, wait. What always irked me, let's take a minute. What always irked me is how we as a people uh, allowed Reagan in 1980 to come to us with this tax breaks for the rich ideology, trickle down thing, and he just hoodwinked us. It didn't work. But, you know, fool me once, shame on you. But fool me twice, and that's my fault. Because then we allowed Bush to come in and do the same thing. Use the same terminology. The trickle down, the tax breaks. And he hoodwinked us again. I mean, we should be ashamed of ourselves for letting these guys get away with it. Now here we are again for the third time. Three strikes in the route. What does Trump want to do? Tax breaks for the rich. I mean, I had to, I had to, I had to throw that in there. Uh, here we go. California, on the other hand, did the exact opposite. Under Democratic Governor Jerry Brown, the wholly Democratic majority in the legislature was able to reverse the economic devastation that the previous Republican administration had left behind. The new Democratic majority moved forward with progressive policies based on our progressive values, including a substantial tax increase for the wealthy and increase in spending for education, infrastructure, and other domestic programs. In June of 2016, California surpassed France to become the sixth largest economy in the world. Yes, you read that right. California. One of our 50 states has become, by itself, and under a progressive governor who leads a progressive state legislature, the sixth largest economy in the world. But you might say, wait, we have a Democratic president. Why isn't the whole country doing as well under his leadership as the state of California is doing under a Democrat? I propose that a huge chunk of the problem, if not the entirety of it, is due to obstructionist Republicans in Congress who have spent the last eight years doing everything in their power not to move the country forward, but rather to make sure that President Obama was unable to move the country forward. They were guided by the obsession to make sure that the nation's first black president must fail. And why did the Republicans stand in the president's way? As Cornell makes clear in the pages of this book, the greatest chunk of that problem is that President Obama is black. The triumph of this country having at long last elected its first black chief executive has been met with a backlash of racial aversion. So fierce that it has led, just eight years later, to the elevation of an overt racist as the Republican nominee president. My friend Cornell Belker has long been at the vanguard of demographic trends among the emerging young and browning American voting population. His research allowed us to cut through Beltway's criticism back in the early 2000s to learn how to challenge our opponents on what had been, at one point, completely their turf. Now Cornell has conducted a truly cutting-edge study into racial aversion in our country. What he's found 
pokes a great hole through the trope that America is a quote-unquote post-racial nation and that our current polarization is simply partisan. His analysis of his data, laid out clearly in the pages that follow, offers us often hard-to-hear insight and understanding into the depth and scope of the racial problems we Americans face today. Hearing hard truths, however, is pretty much the only way we can start to fix any problem. Cornell's work is critical to understanding the path we'll need to walk to reach racial reconciliation in America. But that reconciliation will be crucial for us to win the future. So yes, that's Howard Dean's forward for the book, A Black Man in the White House. And um, as, as you heard, it gives you an insight as to exactly what the author's uh, intent is. The author's intent, although his background is what? His background is in statistics, his background is in polling. But he takes his information, his education, and he relates it to the racial demographics of this country, and he put it in a book where we can all read it, hear it, and understand it. Here's the purpose of of my podcast. 2017 and forward, we as a people, red, yellow, black, white, and brown. Now I know that's not truly the racial divide, but we as a people in 2017 and beyond need to make sure that we put ourselves in a position to help ourselves. And without information, without knowledge, we won't be able to do that. And we have to go out and, and don't get me wrong. I know that everything out there written is not true, but we have to pray that we have the ability to discern fact from fiction. And with that ability, we'll be able to make decisions that will improve our lives. Uh, I'm not a scholar. I'm not an economist. I'm not an educator. What, What I am is an American, an American who seeks the truth, so that I'll be able to put my family in a better position to go forward in this difficult, complex world. Here is a here. Listen to this. This this is this this is this is a uh, this is a quote from that I that I love from Socrates. And in in a nutshell, it's what my uh, it's what my podcast is all about. Here it is. Employ your time in improving yourself by other men's writings so that you'll gain easily what others have labored hard for. You understand what that means? That means go out, seek information that's out there, that's been gathered by others. Be able to discern fact from fiction and use it to further your life, further your progress, help your family, help your people, help this nation. If you like the podcast, if forget about the podcast, get the book, read the book, hit me up on my site, put it in the book on Facebook, put it in the book Twitter. Hit me up after you've read it, come back, give me some feedback. I 
again, this is D. David Polite for Put It 